way, good day to you. Kyle here. Uh, you know, I have, I have no idea if you'll relate to this little story, and some of you uh, may on the receiving side, and some of you may on the giving side, like my wife Jessica. You see, it's often the case that I will have just picked up a book, and I'll sit down with said book, and my eyes will meet the page to read it, obviously, <laughs> and then just as soon as that happens, Jessica will walk into that room where I've sat down to read this book, and she'll start talking, talking with this assumption, it seems to me at least, that I'm listening. And now this can carry on for 30, 45 seconds, and although it might look like I am listening, you and I both know that I cannot read and listen to her at the same time. And so this is where it can get a little dicey because I have a decision to make in these moments. You know, once you get past 45 seconds, it's kind of an all or nothing attempt. You can either like just pick up with the conversation and try and patch together the bits and pieces that you heard and act like you know what the person is talking about. Or as often is the case for me, I just say, I'm, I'm so sorry, <laughs> I was not listening to a single word you were saying. And my, my point in this little story is that when our attention is divided, so too is our listening. You see, even when we are listening, even when we are giving our attention fully, there's not a lot of distractions, we have ourselves there. Like, have you ever been in a conversation and you're doing your best that you can to listen, the person you're having the conversation asks you point blank, did you even hear me? That question itself, it, it tells you that though we're physically present, your mind was somewhere else, like you missed what was going on. If, if that's happened to you, this is normal. Uh, we all come to conversations with friends, family, m different moments, a teaching like this with a slew of stuff just streaming through our minds. This, this is normal. It could have been the fight that you just got into before you jumped onto this YouTube premiere. It, it could be like an interesting show you're watching, a distant memory that just pops into your mind for no rhyme or reason. All of these things at various times, they just come with us and they come with us into these interactions. And maybe you're sitting here and, and you're thinking, well, you know, I, I do a pretty good job at this. I actually can't, like I would say that I'm a pretty good multitasker, uh, but the overwhelming evidence suggests that you are not. <laughs> I'm not just like, I'm not thinking about a single person, I'm, I'm talking about real studies that demonstrate that we are not built for this. And you're thinking, well, well, well Kyle, I'm more efficient when I multitask. No, you're not. Study after study shows us that there is a diminishing return on our quote unquote efficiency when our attention is divided. And when it comes to hearing, when our attention is divided, so too is our listening. This is key for us to keep in mind when we come to Jesus's parables in general and specifically Jesus's parable today. And so if you have your Bibles, you can flip or tap your way on over to Mark uh, chapter four and, and what we're going to do is we're going to read this passage, but, uh, and then we're going to uh, work through some simple tools of interpretation and then go back through the passage with those tools in hand. And we're just going to close our time with uh, some pastoral reflections on this moment in light of Jesus calling out 
in this parable. But before we do any of that, just a quick word of prayer. So let us pray. God, we submit that even in this format, um, you are good, that you speak to us through your word. And so that's what I would ask that you would do now, that you, through the power of your spirit, would use me, um, that you would use the full faculty of my mind and my body and my soul and my spirit and my experiences and the thoughts and considerations here to stir our hearts and our affections for Jesus. Would we see you more clearly in this time, Jesus? So Spirit, would you come? Would you fill us afresh and lead us to Jesus as you say you will? Jesus, we bring this to you. We ask that you meet us in this time. Amen. So if you're not there already, Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 3, this is what we read. Listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed some seed, it fell among the path. And the birds came down and devoured it. Another seed fell along the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he, this is Jesus here, he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Just look again with me at that last line there. He or she who has ears to hear, let them hear. Just imagine this scene. Like this isn't just a story random. Like this isn't a moral teaching just dropped down from heaven. This is a story situated in a narrative context. And imagine that you're present to it and for it. Imagine showing up. You've, you've just heard Jesus teach and you actually have come to Peter's house and you just witnessed some pretty intense stuff go down at Peter's house in Capernaum. You, you saw that his parents, or Jesus's mom and siblings were outside, and that they were calling Jesus a madman, and that then religious leaders had come up to your small town from Jerusalem to like throw shade at Jesus. They were saying, oh, he's doing the things, the mighty works, quote unquote. He, yeah, he's doing them because he's possessed by a demon. And then as though he's not even phased, Jesus goes down by the sea, where, where he's often found, and he begins to teach some more. But this time it's a little bit different, because this time, when Jesus starts in on his teaching, he tells this story, this very obvious story about agriculture, and then he says this line, they who have ears, let them hear. And at this point, both like the imagination you and you, like the real you, wherever you are at right now, you start to wonder, what in the world is Jesus on about? Like, of, of course I have ears, Jesus, and of course these ears hear. So is Jesus parsing the difference between hearing and listening? Is there a difference? Is he confused? Like, 
maybe Jesus really is a madman like his family was on about. And before you get too frustrated or like before we get uh, just frazzled with Jesus' teaching here and just set our Bibles down or walk away the whole thing, we need to pause and talk a little bit about meaning. And we need to talk about meaning in conjunction with significance because our response to Jesus is never neutral. Remember, we show up with our full self to Jesus. And so if this next section feels a little lectury, just stick with me because this is significant for us to get into this parable and more so for this parable to get in to us. And so there's this literary critic and educator and professor by the name of E.D. Hirsch, and he's famous for his work on cultural literacy uh, and interpretation. But in the, in the breadth of his work, he draws out this distinction between meaning and significance. And what Hirsch argued was that a textual interpretation, that is, like how we would understand a text, whether that's digital or it's written or otherwise, that it should not disregard, our, our interpretation of that text should not disregard the influence of the author or the author's cultural background. In other words, the author's meaning, and in our case, a, a parable of Jesus, the author is Jesus, that parable is informed by a specific time, a specific place, circumstances, or an occasion all of which then inform how we receive the story, Jesus's word. And the significance then is how we experience that meaning wherever we are. And remember, we show up to Jesus with our full selves, with our mixed bag of, of our gender identity, our orientations, our sufferings, our joy, like a global pandemic. We show up to Jesus with all of us. And what's beautiful to me about Jesus is he doesn't mince his words. Like he doesn't really, I mean, okay, so he does speak indirectly in parables, but he starts off this whole thing in the gospel according to Mark really clearly. He says in Mark 1, 15, that the time is fulfilled, that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. Or you could say it this way, turn to God in trust and believe trust that he truly is the best news on the scene. So Jesus doesn't mince his words at all. And in everything he says and everything he does in the gospel according to Mark, it extends from that declaration, from that proclamation, including this parable right here. But for us, in a, a culture of hyper-individualism, we've been trained to hold ourselves as this, like really the reflexive point for meaning. So meaning comes from our own experience. It comes from our own preferences. And those preferences hold sway over meaning. Which means that when we come to Jesus, we often bypass Jesus, his cultural context, his significant moments in his life and ministry, and we just rush on ahead to the personal significance for us, rather than asking, how do we draw significance that stems from Jesus's meaning? And this simple step, this simple question, how do we draw significance that stems from Jesus's meaning? This helps us to honor Jesus. This helps us to focus our attention on his words so we might actually have ears to hear him. 
So for us to, to honor Jesus and, and really honor the heritage of the parables well today and this week and in the whole of our lives, I just want to set in front of us some basic tools so we could t- that we can turn to the parables with. And so first, know where you're reading. Pay attention to the context. And this might seem like, well, no, duh, like this is just basic Bible study. But this is so easy to bypass when we have ourselves in mind. So first, pay attention. Know where you're at. What is going on in the story? For example, if you're in the Gospels, how has Jesus been proclaiming the kingdom of God? What are the implications of that proclamation for where you're at? Next, seek to understand how others experienced the parable beyond those in the story. So so ask this question. Ask, how do the elements in the parables correspond to other characters? Like, is... Is, is Jesus drawing something out here? And this type of, this question will, will get you into the parable. And lastly, adapt this parable to your day. I think this would honor Jesus. It's what Jesus is doing. You see, Jesus isn't making up or starting this whole world of parables. And, and this word itself, it, it simply just means to set something alongside. It's just a compound Greek word. And so Jesus is setting these stories alongside the proclamation of his kingdom to talk about himself and what the implications of his kingdom are. And Jesus, like we covered last week, is drawing upon his own cultural heritage. He's looking back to the prophet Isaiah, who he loves to quote. He's going to places like Isaiah 5, and he's talking about like a, a, a gardener, or a vineyard owner who cultivates this beautiful place. He, he pulls out all the rocks, the soil, like the roots are just there, ready to spread out. But then this vine produces no fruit. It's, it's, or it's stinky fruit, rather, in Isaiah. So Jesus, like Isaiah, is, is using these beautiful images and metaphors to tell a story about his kingdom in the time and place that he was. So we, we too get to adapt the parable to our day. And so let's just do this ever so briefly. Jesus comes into this teaching on the heels of conflict. R- remember the beef with his family and the religious leaders saying he's possessed by a demon. And now he's just told this story, this story about three unfruitful soils and one fruitful soil. And he's done so surrounded by this large crowd, a crowd mind you, that had previously pressed in on him to like seeking to touch him for healing and they're just like they're suffocating him. And we, we can imagine that Jesus wants all of these people, this whole audience to do more than just listen and think or, or just receive a healing. He, he wants them to imagine and feel and, and be challenged and be provoked by his words. He wants to see them come to the fullness of life. He wants to see the kingdom start to like draw them in to its beautiful reality. And so we notice that the sower, the sower in this parable is faithful to sow his seed everywhere as though he truly trusts the capacity of this seed to flourish in fertile soil. So he just, he's liberal with it. He throws it everywhere. And we notice that Three of the soils yield no fruit at all, but that there's one that yields this generous harvest. It's like the varying responses to Jesus' kingdom claims. Some respond positively and others respond negatively. And 
Other responses are still hard to discern what they are. We just don't know. Which leads us to today. What about today? What do we do? How do we adapt this parable to us? I like how Robert Farrar Capon, he's an Episcopal priest, I like how he speaks about the parables. And I think that this will help us draw on the significance. He says this, for Jesus, the meaning of God's kingdom is a radical mystery, which can be a frustrating place to be. But he goes on, he says, even as he tells people about it, that is the kingdom of God, it remains permanently intractable or difficult to all attempts to fully grasp it. Jesus did not use the parables to explain everything to people's satisfaction, but rather to call into question people's previous understandings. In other words, the parables are trying to upset people's existing ideas, as well as provide them new ones. They're meant to pop every circuit breaker in people's minds. I love that visual image there. And after all of our yammer and opinions about how God should or shouldn't run the world, getting people to just stand there with their eyes wide open and their mouths shut would be a giant step forward. That's the picture of what Jesus' parables evoke. For Capon, this is what Jesus' parables are designed to do. This is where we take the significance today. We could say it this way, Jesus puts the kingdom of God in our courts and what we come to Jesus with is what we get out of it. Just just recall the responses if that sounds a bit peculiar. Some seed fell along the path and just picture this, it it could not get in. There it sits atop the path. But what was the problem? Well, the problem was that the soil was not hospitable to the seed. It it had like this no need sign. It had no need for a Jesus-shaped kingdom. It had no need to turn to God and trust. And so as Jesus goes on later to say in Mark 4, the seed is snatched up by the evil one. It was this almost impenetrable surface. And yet the sower was faithful to bring the seed there. Or maybe that's some of us. If so, maybe this whole talk so far sounded irrelevant. Do you have ears? Other seed rolled off the path and fell down into the rocks. Do you remember that seed? The soil has no depth, and when the sun comes up, that little root that took, it's quickly scorched. It's like this soil is somewhat embarrassed about Jesus and this soil is embarrassed about Jesus around its other soil colleagues. And maybe this sounds silly, but run here with me. This embarrassment leads to to Jesus being profaned in the soil's presence and even scoffed at, but rather than standing with confidence in Jesus, because there's no root, when the pressure from without increases, when the heat increases, it diminishes. There's no evidence of the seed there. Maybe this is some of us. Do you have ears to hear? Remember, there were other seeds that went out, and some fell among thorns. And this is not a shallow place like the previous soil, 
Rather, there's another thing growing there with the seed. It's the thorns. There's competition for nutrients. There's competition for water and sunlight. It's, it's like there's these competing stories that are banging up against one another, stories that bring significance and meaning to our lives in this soil. Stories that are, are less about being fans of Jesus and more about priorities and comfort. But then, but then there's a seed, a seed that falls on good soil, and it produces a bountiful harvest, a, a soil that receives the seed. And because the seed can set its roots out and flourish, this seed then gives way to a bountiful harvest, 30, 60, 100-fold. You see, this parable, this parable is all about how we respond to Jesus. Because it's for sure that Jesus meant for every person who would have heard this story to find themselves in one of these stories. And sure, our, we are not in the first century with Roman military oppressors, but we are in a global pandemic where the reality of our world is chaotic and swirly, and here we find ourselves in the midst of it. And, and in this place, Jesus calls out to us from this parable. Do we have ears? Do we have ears to hear our Jesus? See, Jesus' words, they require something of us. They require us to listen. And this idea of listening in the, in the biblical imagination, it's not just hearing as, as in though like we comprehend it. It has this idea of listening unto action. It has this idea of moving us, of compelling us, of actually drawing something out and producing something in our lives, 30, 60, 100-fold. But Jesus knows that our attention is divided. He knows, he knows that we're terrible listeners, that we can't read and listen to him at the same time. And so he speaks in such a way that gets our attention. And this is what's beautiful. Did everyone get Jesus on the first go-around? No. Parables do this. They work on us. They go out and then they work on us slowly but surely. As we take them in, they draw us in with curiosity into the life of the kingdom of God that we see revealed fully in Jesus. And and I just, I think about this story, this parable in this season. It's a time when, like for many of us, our jobs, our security, our comforts, they're all exposed. They're all like on thin ice. And the question before us as a community that, that is, is, will we trust Jesus's word? As they come to us, will we trust them? Will we have ears to hear Jesus? Or will his voice his word be crowded out with pressures from outside or, or division from within ourselves. And I, I don't know about you, but this time feels like there's this sort of like stripping away taking place. It's like when in the fall, at the end of the fall, all the leaves are down and you just take all those things and you end up maybe pulling out hedges and you, you pull up all the ivy that's been covering up the ground and it is, it's, it's ugly is what it is. It's what this moment feels like. Like we're all exposed. We're able to see the soil of our hearts for the first time in a long time. And in many moments, it's just not beautiful to look at. 
And yet, as we see around us, there's life coming out. Like that soil that was just, looked, it was really just mud and it had some snow and the snow's gone and then it was just mud again and it was, it's just gross. Now it's starting to like, life is sprouting up from it. And there's something coming for, there's beautiful flower and foliage that's blooming and coming out into full vibrant life. And yet there's still some spots that are gross. The season is revealing in us the soil it's exposing our trusts and our distrusts. And if you're like me in this season, the thing that's been exposed the most is my desire for control. It's like it comes out of nowhere and it happens in a moment. It happens at a, at a changing table with, with, like, with diapers and band-aids. It, it happens when I'm hungry. It just It happens in the most obscure and obvious moments. And there's this pastor, cultural analyst, Mark Sayers, who we, we turn to him uh, for his wisdom in the world. Uh, and he would say that God is humbling the West in this season. That all those fixtures we turn to and trust, things of comfort, uh, the sciences, medicine, infrastructure, the power of the dollar, that all of those things are being brought low by a tiny microbe. And right now that the fear of death is greater than it's ever been in our world because the dominant worldview around us that is like um, evolutionary secularism, where, where Darwinism reigns supreme, there is no meaning to suffering. Suffering is this interruption at best. But what I see as I follow Jesus in this moment is that suffering exposes my attachments as psychologists would say, or as my Calvinist brothers and sisters would say, it exposes the idols of my heart. And the reality is that, that none of us know what this moment will bring out of us. We, we simply don't know. I think those are the, the three words I've repeated most in this season. I don't know. And that's okay. You see, this is what uh, mystics would call uh, holy uncertainty. That we don't know how long this will last. And yet, in that unknowing, there's space to come to God. That we, we don't know what this moment will do to our culture. Will it become more secular? Will it become less? Will the church grow? Will it decrease? Will, will, pol will politics become more partisan, less? We, we just don't know. It's this holy uncertainty. So we get to laugh because we don't know. Rather than being filled with angst, we can be filled with hope of a new thing coming. You see, I, I started off this whole little teaching by saying that when our attention is divided, so too is our listening. And I believe that this is true. But as the teachings pr progressed, I, I think that this reality is broader than just our listening. I think that when we are divided among one another, whether that's internally within ourselves, externally with our neighbors, interpersonally with our friends, then our ability to hear Jesus's kingdom call is impaired as well. So I say with Jesus, do we have ears? Do you have ears to hear the call of Jesus? Do you have ears to hear Jesus who calls out to you? Do you have ears to hear Jesus who is compassionate, who is slow to anger, who is abounding in steadfast love? Do you have ears to hear Jesus? Put down your book. Turn to him. Don't try and act like you know what he's been saying this whole time and just pick back up. Turn to him in trust. Turn to him in trust and listen.